This is Eric Boll, Missouri Farm Bureau's Director of Public Affairs. Welcome to Around the Kitchen Table, our weekly podcast where we talk about the things our members are talking about around their kitchen tables. We just wrapped up our annual meeting yesterday and had a lot of fun. We even had a lot of singing, both professional and not so professional. You might have seen me and a handful of my friends up on stage uh, doing the 12 Days of Hurstmas. So we had a good time with our annual meeting, and we also did learn a lot. We had a, a lot of great speakers in our lineup, and we had a wonderful Farm Bill panel that happened on Sunday afternoon. And that's actually what we're going to bring you today is that we had so many, so many people who were able to attend there that said they wish they would be able to listen to it again on a recording and asked if we had it. And then a lot of people who weren't able to make it and uh, or couldn't even get in the room because it was so packed. And they asked if we might be able to share that audio with them so that they could hear what those experts actually had to say about what's coming up on the farm bill. So, Today, we are going to be sharing a special episode with you of Around the Kitchen Table, where the six experts we had on our Farm Bill panel give their, uh, we we have the recording of what they talked about during that that focus on the Farm Bill. We also did record a number of other episodes with some of our other speakers and some of the people on the panel that are one-on-one conversations, and we're going to be getting those to you over the next couple of weeks, and um, giving the opportunity to hear what they had to say when we had uh, a half hour or so to sit down with each of them one-on-one. We had some fantastic conversations, so we we do look forward to you hearing those. But right now, we're going to hear from our Farm Bill experts. So without any further delay, here is our Focus on the Farm Bill panel from Sunday. So good afternoon. Welcome to Missouri Farm Bureau's 103rd Annual Meeting. Uh, we're thrilled to see all of you here at Tantera and appreciate making the time to join us on this very special Focus on the Farm Bill seminar. We're excited to be joined by such a distinguished panel of special guests. They've taken time out from their busy schedules and I know they are ready and willing to answer all the burning questions you all have about the Farm Bill. I'll give a brief introduction here and then we'll get right into the program. I'll outline the program a little bit. I think what we're going to do uh, is ask um, uh, uh, our first panelist is former uh, or is uh, Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler, whom we all know. She represents Missouri's fourth congressional district, 24 counties, West Central Missouri. Uh, no stranger to Missouri Farm Bureau, and uh, she is, of course, a member of the Agriculture Committee, Missouri's uh, lone representative on that committee. We're proud to have her here. We have former Congressman Kenny Holsoff, who served the ninth district when we had one. Um, for 12 years, um, finishing his career in, two th- in Congress in 2009. Uh, again, a farm bill expert. We have chairman of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, uh, Chris John Carlo, and we're really happy to have him here. And he'll be able to give us a little bit different perspective on how his organization uh, works with farm programs. We have to Dr. Bob Young, uh, former chief economist um, and deputy executive director of public policy of the American Farm Bureau. Uh, Federation again. But uh, before that, he worked for FAPRI and here in Missouri, worked for the Senate Ag Committee. Uh, no stranger to Missourians. Uh, when I asked Bob to be on this panel, uh, since he's just retired and has total freedom, I said we were going to title the panel "Bob Young Unbound." <laughs> we have Brian Klippenstein, again a good Missourian, a good friend of ours, senior advisor to United States Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Purdue. 
and we're particularly proud to have ranking member Colin Peterson from Minnesota of the, uh, of the Farm Bill or the Ag Committee, probably uh, Capitol Hill's leading expert uh, on the Farm Bill. Uh, he's been through a few of these and uh, we really look forward to hearing from him as well. This is be our schedule. Uh, we'll give, a, we'll give a Colin about 10 minutes, uh, Ranking Member Peterson about 10 minutes to, tell, to give us his thoughts on the Farm Bill. Uh, we'll ask Chairman Giancarlo, John Carlo, excuse me, John Carlo to, uh, uh, to follow up with 10 minutes kind of explaining how his uh, organization interacts with farm policy. Uh, and then we'll ask for a reply from, uh, from our own, very own Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler. Uh, from uh, former Congressman Kenny Holsoff, from Brian Klippenstein, and uh, of course Dr. Young. Uh, after that, we will have questions. We have we have microphones. I would ask you, uh, as Dr. Uh, Young is finishing up his remarks, I would ask you to kind of make your way to the microphones. I have a series of questions here. You do not want to hear me talk anymore. Uh, so please get in line and uh, ask the questions that you want to ask of our distinguished panel, and we will, uh, I think, by the end, have a great deal of information that's valuable to all of us. And with that, I'll turn it over to Ranking Member Colin Peterson. Well, thank you very much, and uh, thank you for inviting me back to Missouri. We apparently didn't do too bad last time that they didn't run us out of, run us out of the state, but... Um, I think it was, it was so long ago they forgot. <laughs> they forgot. They forgot. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm pleased to be here, and um, I'll try to be brief because I'd rather hear from uh, folks about what they uh, what's on their mind or get whatever advice you might have um, for us uh, as we do this next bill. Um, so I've been telling people back home and or anybody else that asked that um, said, well, "What's the farm bill going to be like?" I said, "It's going to look very much like the current bill." And the main reason is we don't have any money. Uh, so there's not a whole lot you can do <laughs> when you uh, don't have any money. Uh, so I've, I've been telling people come in my office, we've got a bunch of people that want, you've got a whole wish list of things and want the money for this and that and the other thing. The way I view this is if you're going to have extra money, you're going to have to get it out of your own area. So. The corn farmers want to improve the ARC program. They're going to have to figure out how to get it out of what they're currently in their baseline. Uh, one area that we're going to put, well, we're actually going to get the money for this, I think, out of the program as well, and that's cotton. We need to get the cotton program back in place. And uh, it looks like by manipulating the generic acres, we'll be able to come up with enough money to be able to do a pretty decent cotton program. Uh, probably won't be as much as people want, but it's probably something that uh, we can live with. And that's going to be a lot of what we do in this bill, is just <laughs> end up doing what we can live with. So we need to fix cotton. Uh, I think that's probably number one on the list. Uh, Frank Lucas and I say that if they would have listened to us in the last farm bill, we wouldn't be in this problem because we had a reference price in the House bill and the Senate made us take it out. And that's part of the reason why the cotton program didn't work. So we've got to fix that. We've got problems in dairy. Uh, I've been working on that for a while, but I think we can fix that without a whole lot of money. 
Uh, we're going to try to improve the MPP, although I'm not sure, after talking to farmers around the country, I don't think anybody's going to use it anyway, but uh, we're going to try to improve it. And uh, we're going to look at it maybe offering a couple of um, insurance products, including the Farm Bureau uh, proposal that has been put forward uh, on dairy. And we're also looking at tweaking the uh, livestock gross margin program, uh, maybe uh, saying that dairy is a commodity rather than part of livestock. And so uh, we've got some idea what we're going to try to do there. And the last thing that's going to be major, if I have anything to say about it, is uh, CRP. Uh, we reduced the CRP acreage last time to 24 million acres not because we wanted to, but because that's where we were going to end up anyway. Because everybody was coming out of CRP because we had $7 corn and so forth. People thought they were going to make a lot of money. Uh, now, people want to get back into the CRP because we got, I don't know what it is in Missouri, but in my district it's $2.60. And you can't make a whole lot of money on corn at $2.60. We have 90 cents basis or dollar basis, but anyway, so we have been working on this for about six months, and um, we uh, think that we'll be able to make changes within the program that'll get us enough money to go back to 32 million acres. Uh, the way we're going to do that is by what we do. Some people may not like, but uh, I think it's the right way to go. We've, capping the um, uh, rental rate so that it's only 80% of the uh, rental rate in the county. Uh, under the existing program, we've had good farmland that's gotten into the program that shouldn't be in there, it should be farmed. We got CRP competing with farmers for cropland. We're gonna stop that. Uh, so what we're hoping to do is use this price to get some of the good land out and get some of the land that shouldn't be farmed in. Uh, because the EBI and the uh, rotability uh, index and all that has not worked. And one of the reasons is because the environmentalists hijacked the program and created all these boutique practices and all this other stuff that we're also going to get rid of. And if I had my way, we would get rid of the continuous, but I haven't got the, con the chairman convinced on that yet. But anyway, we're hoping to be able to make reforms in CRPs so we can get back to what it used to be back in the 80s when we first started this thing. Uh, simpler, you only have to put in one or two cover crops. It's something that'll actually grow and not create a weed patch. And, um, you know, so we're working on that. So uh, we've uh, made good progress. We have been trading paper now the last couple of weeks. Um, the chairman says that we're going to write this. Um, bill in January or February and uh, get it on the floor, and sooner the better. Uh, so, you know, we're hoping to get this done and not have another fiasco like 14 where we went through for two years. So, so anyway, thank you for having me here and I appreciate it. All right, Chairman Giancarlo. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to follow uh, Ranking Member Peterson. And it's a pleasure to be with all of you today. Uh, when I, my staff uh, s suggested that uh, I come out to 
Missouri, um, I really was excited to do this for two reasons. Um, the first one was to actually have an opportunity to meet with all of you and speak to you this afternoon. And uh, before I finish, I'll tell you what the second reason is. Uh, but what I thought I might do is just quickly tell you about the CFTC and what our agenda is uh, going forward. Uh, the CFTC is, is an agency, it's probably the, the least known agency with, in some ways, uh, one of the largest uh, remits of any, of any federal agency, and that is really a, a global market for uh, derivative products, which includes the listed ag futures products that many of you are familiar with, but a whole range of energy, of foreign exchange, of financial, uh, of precious metals, um, a whole range of instruments traded in global markets. Uh, the size of, of the markets overseen by the CFTC is somewhere in the neighborhood of a staggering $400 trillion in size. So it really is a, quite a remarkable uh, oversight that the CFTC brings to these markets. Our agenda uh, going forward is one that I like to tell the staff. It's, it's, it's a combination of past, present, and future. The past part of it is to really look back on uh, the work we did to implement the Dodd-Frank Act and look to see whether we got it right. And there's been a lot of concern as to whether Dodd-Frank, which is titled the Wall Street Reform Act, uh, in some ways does a lot more than uh, impose requirements on Wall Street, which it, it should and was meant to do, but actually in, uh, imposes a lot of restrictions on end users, the very people that use these markets and the service providers, the small futures commission merchants and small banks that serve them. So we've got to look to make sure we've calibrated it right. The emphasis really should be on the big Wall Street firms and not smaller firms that are serving the markets that, that you use. And we've got to make sure that on that, that backward glance that we get that right. Then, then our present focus is to return the agency to its core mission, which is commodity futures. Um, so much of the focus over the last few years has been on these financial Wall Street markets that I think to a small extent the CFTC has lost a bit of its focus on the very ag futures that's its basis. The history of the agency was it used to be housed with the Department of Agriculture. In the 1970s it was created into a separate agency, but still under the oversight of the House and Senate Ag com Committees. Uh, as I say, in the last few years the, the remit of the agency has expanded so wi widely that I think again the agency has a bit lost its focus. So we're refocusing the agency on its core mission, which is part of the reason why I'm here and in my time on the agency, I've traveled to over 22 states meeting with ag producers in virtually every, every form of agriculture to understand how they use these commodity futures products to hedge their business risk and to make sure those products are serving the needs of, of you all. And the other thing we need to do is to get a true Aggie on the commission. Uh, as I say, the commission was founded in the 70s and almost through its entire life, at least one or two of the commissioners have deep agriculture, uh, a deep agriculture background. We currently don't have that. I'm certainly uh, not one. I come out of the, the New York financial markets, um, but I've done my best to learn agriculture. But that's not the same thing as having somebody who's really um, been raised on a farm and understands the, the needs of, of producers. So we really need that. We've got a great uh, uh, person, uh, been nominated by the president, um, um, and uh, she is through uh, the Ag Committee. Uh, we're waiting for her to be paired with a nominee uh, from, from um, the other party, and as soon as they're there, we get these two people paired, get them on board, that would be great. And then finally, the, um, the, the future uh, view of our agency is really to take stock of where our markets are going. Just as agriculture production has really changed dramatically with the digitization of markets, the precision farming that you're seeing come in, 
Well, so have our markets, and you're seeing increasing amounts of, of digital and automated trading taking place in markets, of high-frequency trading, and we really, as an agency ourselves, need to become a digital regulator for digital times and to take stock of these changes and be able to come back when we meet with folks and say, yeah, we know what impact these high-frequency traders are doing in the market and we got that under control. That's our mission the next few years, to get that under control and know what impact, for good or for bad, it's having on markets. So that's our forward view. So that's our past, present, and, and, and future approach to the agency. And I told you I would tell you the second reason I'm here, and that's to perform tonight with Colin Peterson's band, The Second Amendment. So uh, it's nice to have a standing room crowd here for uh, us bureaucrats speaking, but come out tonight for us musicians and kind of hear what we have to, have to perform for you all. So with that, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to address you. Thank you. Congresswoman Hartzler. Thank you very much, and it is uh, uh, a thrill to have the uh, ranking member of our committee here, and uh, as well as the chairman of the CFTC and my other colleagues here on this panel. Um, and it's an exciting time. Uh, we're getting some things done in, in Washington, and we're heading into this next farm bill. Uh, you know, I've, this will be almost my seventh year now on the Ag Committee, and as a lifelong farmer, I feel very honored to get to represent you and the state of Missouri on that committee, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes this time, because the first time when we were uh, debating this in 2001, when I was a new member of Congress, I went there uh, as a, like I said, lifelong farmer who grew up appreciating the importance of the Farm Bill, and uh, understanding how critical it was to have a strong safety net, that was good. And I was kind of, uh, had my eyes open when I got to Washington about how many people do not like the Farm Bill and how uh, difficult it was to get it passed. And it ended up taking three years. Uh, but I'm hopeful that this time it will um, uh, transpire and we'll get this done a lot sooner. Um, we're not going to be making as many of the major changes as we did before, and as I was visiting with Eric Bola uh, before this uh, panel, um, he said that, I, I thought it was a good way to put it, that this one will be more evolutionary and not revolutionary uh, as far as Farm Bill. As you know, we did it in the last Farm Bill. We did away with direct payments and set up a whole new system, whether it be PLC and ARC and all of these alphabet soup programs. and. There was a lot, of, a lot of discussion. At that time, we were also trying to pass a farm bill when we had record high prices. And you had other members of Congress who have no ag background going, well, why do we need those farm programs anyway? That's just corporate welfare for those farmers. And anyway, we had all kinds of interesting discussions. But now uh, we've had, as you know, um, better than most people in this country, you know, four years of net farm income decrease. The commodity prices are not good. And I think it'll be a lot easier to make that uh, case that we need to continue to have a strong uh, safety net program. And I think we will be tweaking, you know, the PLC and the ARC programs. As Colin mentioned, cotton and dairy are the two main commodities that we've got to do some major things. And I, I'd be remiss without introducing Dr. Uh, Chris Brown here in our audience, who from the University of Missouri is uh, a expert on this and comes to Washington regularly, so we're looking forward to getting his uh, input on that. But as far as the input I'm getting from farmers, and what my message will be is that we've got to keep our crop insurance uh, program. 
That is the most important part of this farm bill. It is vital to have this risk protection program there, not only just for the farmer, but also for uh, lenders. It provides that certainty. There are proposals out there to change it with some means testing and that sort of thing. I am going to be opposing those. Um, I think that the crop insurance program is you know, just vital to our farmers. It's a win-win for the taxpayers, too. It's a lot better than the old disaster relief programs that we had to do years ago. They ended up costing taxpayer even more. So I think we have a very strong case for the crop, uh, crop insurance. We'll also be looking at trade and ways to expand that. I personally am trying to um, look at ways to explore rural broadband. Um, I've got a bill that I hope to roll in with the CRP program to have grazing flexibility uh, to allow that midterm contract uh, to add grazing as an option. As you know, midterm during your CRP, you have to clear the land either by chemical burning, burning, or by disking. And as an exchange for that, the landowner gets some crop, sh uh, crop share, cost share, excuse me, from the taxpayer. Well, if you add grazing, there's no cost. Plus, it's better for the uh, wildlife habitat, and it's good for the cattle rancher. So I'm hoping we'll have a good consensus on that. We can roll that into the CRP program. Any? Congressman Holsoff, thank you, Vicki. Mr. President, thank you. Uh, thanks. Uh, this, this is a tremendous turnout. Thank you all, especially so many familiar faces. It's great uh, to, to say hello to you. Um, I'm with a consulting firm with Kit Bond. Kit sends his regards. Uh, we, we work together very closely. Uh, and this panel, uh, this, this is an extraordinary panel, uh, very bipartisan, very actually nonpartisan. Uh, so thanks for this, Blake. I mean, th this is what a great, uh, what a great forum, and, and I think the turnout speaks for itself. I, the last time I've seen this many people together in a room like this, on an ag issue, was down in the boot heel, and the topic was dicamba, and, and so that, uh, <laughs> I see Garrett Hawkins here. Uh, <laughs> I think he was sitting up here at one of those meetings. Anyway, great to be here. Um, let me amplify a couple of points, actually, and I, I'll, I, I want to hear your questions. Uh, I'll, I'll throw out a couple of two thoughts, maybe that will spur some, some discussion. Um, one of the things I want to point out about Chris is, uh, in addition to this very challenging job, Chris was nominated as a Republican by President Obama and was confirmed unanimously, uh, was renominated by President Trump and was confirmed again unanimously. Um, and I think that speaks to his expertise and credentials. Uh, he is the only person who has has that, that has been unanimously confirmed by a Democratic president and Republican president. Uh, when you mentioned, Blake, the person who knows the most about the farm bill on Capitol Hill, at least on the House side, I, if Senator Roberts were here, Colin, he probably would take issue with that. Uh, but Colin is that guy. And, and Vicki, obviously the experience that you bring, the fact that, uh, I mean, your farming background, I mean, we are well served in Missouri by the folks that we have sent to Washington, D.C., especially as it relates to agricultural issues. Um, and, and again, it's not one of those issues, thankfully, ag is not one of those issues that's the red jerseys and the blue jerseys. Uh, I mean, there, there are going to be differences. There are. Um, and the budget 
concerns that Colin discussed are real, and uh, but the fact that I think there's a I'm sure Colin will correct me if, if I misspeak, but a good working relationship between Chairman Mike Conaway and Colin, uh, the chair and ranking on the House Ag Committee, and, and that's so important because ultimately it's our interests that our folks in D.C. are, are deciding. Uh, one of the issues that I worked on just this week, in fact, uh, our firm represents uh, National Biodiesel, of course based here in Missouri. Uh, you know, biodiesel is uh, really in a tough spot, the industry. I mean, again, when you think about, uh, it wasn't that long ago that uh, biodiesel was a nascent industry with 100 million gallons as far as the diesel pool. Uh, we now are about 4 billion gallons. Um, and, and it used to be, you know, this feedstock was very simple. It was just soybeans. And now, of course, we've got multiple feedstocks biodiesel is produced all over the country. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we have some other countries, and I'm happy to, if the press wants to follow up, I'll name them by name, but right now we have, for instance, uh, uh, a case with the International Trade Commission. They've ruled in our domestic biodiesel industry's favor against Argentina. They've been cheating. Uh, and that's the point of, of having a referee is to call out the cheaters, and so Argentina was found to be at fault, uh, and, and so that's a good thing. It's good for our domestic industry. Uh, one of the things, though, that we, we still have a rock to roll up the mountain, and that is that there has been a, a tax credit uh, for blenders uh, to help with the biodiesel production and refiners taking that credit, and right now that, uh, that tax credit has expired and we're trying desperately, you know, in these waning weeks, uh, the few days that the two of you have left, and, and there's so many things that you all have on your agenda uh, to try to get done before the end of the calendar year. And so, uh, but we have great champions. Vicki is one of those, by the way. We, our Missouri folks are extraordinarily supportive. Uh, Senator Blunt has been huge in favor of us on that. So again, I, I, often they hear uh, when things aren't going well or you have issues with them, uh, I, I think sometimes it's also important to say thank you for your support. And I know uh, Don was set us here uh, representing Senator Blunt. So Don, please tell the boss that he's been he's been a rock star for us on that. The other issue I want to just briefly discuss, and that is, as long along with the domestic policy of, you know, I'm I'm still an active farmer. We still got our thousand acre farm down in the boot heel, and you know, when I was on the combine. Uh, you know, wondering how much money I was losing as, you know, with corn off the combine and, you know, we still got bins full and I'm not sure why, uh, you know, because the market's kind of been going horizontal. But nonetheless, along with the domestic policy, a big issue now, um, and, and I'm not putting clip on the spot here because uh, Secretary Purdue's been great, and that is what are we going to do about our, our trade? What are we going to do about our products? And, and I don't. I, I want to be. I, I want to be diplomatic here. Uh, you know, the president told us when he was running for office that the Trans-Pacific Partnership (TPP) was something that he was going to take us out of as a country. And so we weren't really surprised, personally, and again, just my own editorial, not Farm Bureau uh, endorsed here. Uh, I was disappointed. Uh, again because I'm of the mind that I would like to have more customers around the globe to buy my corn and my soybeans and my wheat. Uh, as per perhaps some of you nodding, Lizzie Barb, some of you nodding along. 
And okay, so but that was a promise, and he kept a campaign promise, and and you know I I can uh, acknowledge that. The discussion right now is about what about NAFTA, the North America Free Trade Agreement. It's a 23-year-old agreement. Uh, it needs to be modernized, no question about it. There are a number of of issues and areas. Electronic commerce is one, energy is one. There are a whole host of things that were not even around back in 1993 and 1994. Uh, but one thing that is perhaps concerning, it is for me and perhaps for you as well, and that is that the President has suggested that it may be time to unilaterally withdraw from NAFTA. Uh, and, and so that is of some concern. I, I want to tip my cap. Uh, because a standing ovation probably wouldn't go over, so I'm the only one standing up, Blake. But uh, Blake put out an op-ed, and I hope you've seen it. Perhaps it's been published in, in Farm Bureau publication. Uh, it was in the National Review. I'm happy to send it to anybody here, October the 25th, A Farmer's View of NAFTA. And I got to tell you, it, it gave me chills to read it. Uh, talking about pulling this combine out of the mud and thinking back to the days when the Russian grain embargo. And the reason that struck a chord was because, you know, that was my first political lesson. I didn't know it at the time, but it was something that my dad told me years later. That single decision to, to put a grain embargo on a product uh, to a trading partner almost cost us our family farm. Uh, back then, and of course there were a lot of other factors, many of you, you know, interest rates and land prices and a whole host of things in those early 80s, remember? Uh, and this is one of those things that almost tipped us over uh, as far as, you know, our own farming, our own family farm. Uh, thankfully, I will say, American Farm Bureau, uh, most of the commodity groups uh, have expressed, publicly expressed to Secretary Purdue, the President, and others, look, do no harm. You know, we, we obviously, and Colin is an expert on this, and his committee has had this hearing on NAFTA. Uh, there, there are dairy issues with Canada, no question about it. Uh, there are specialty crop issues uh, with, with Mexico. Uh, those can be resolved. Um, Colin's a big sugar beet guy. I've been up in his district, and, you know, I know sugar, that's an issue as well. But as far as completely pulling the plug, um, to me is, is something that could be quite concerning. So again, maybe something that we can discuss at some point, but again, I'm just excited to be here. Um, the last time that Colin and I were here, uh, there, was, uh, there were about 20 inches of snow on the ground, uh, and we, we came down here and, and we got to play for you all, and I guess memories uh, you know, have faded over those periods of time because you invited us back, so thank you for that. I thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, next, we'll, we'll go ahead and turn to uh, Dr. Klippenstein uh, and uh, hear what he has to say. And uh, we'll finish up with, uh, with Dr. Young. Okay. Blake, thank you. Um, good to see everyone again. Uh, in my previous job, I was, had the terrific uh, opportunity to be unbound like Dr. Young now is. And now, uh, Congressman Holsoff mentioned diplomacy. Now I'm, 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 I'm bound again, and I have uh, re-returned to my wall, my favorite old sign, which says diplomacy is thinking twice before saying nothing. 
Um, and, and we have fairly clear directions uh, from the administration on uh, how much news uh, some of us are supposed to make up. Uh, uh, please don't write this down, Sarah, but uh, <coughs> I'm wondering whether they're afraid we're going to get worse news than, news than they do. <laughs> Uh, Secretary Purdue came in uh, on the end of his first day, and it took him 100 days to get to where he was, and then it took until uh, October before he got someone else political who was there, his deputy, and now we've got two of, well, really three of eight who are seated uh, uh, right now. But at the end of his first day, we uh, had heard that the White House was considering withdrawing from NAFTA. and. Uh, it's a very long, entertaining story that I'd love to tell you someday. But, but you know, credit to credit to everyone. He got uh, into the White House the next day, and he didn't get a clean shot at the president. He was in a room with others who thought that the president should honor his campaign commitment to withdraw from NAFTA. The president let him in without an, without an appointment. They uh, hashed it out, and the president said, uh, "You made points that uh, that I embrace. Provided information that I didn't fully." Uh, um, um, or haven't uh, entirely been told before. Uh, since that day, though, it's been, uh, you know, it's, uh, that part of it's a full-time job. The secretary said, you know, the motto of the department is, uh, is uh, uh, do right and, and feed everyone. And the secretary said over and over again, you know, you all make it and he's going to sell it. Well, he is going to do his part, and we have had some successes in that realm, but, you know, these, are, uh, these aren't risk-free strategies. And as the secretary says, the president, uh, has a different uh, uh, negotiating uh, philosophy. Uh, he does believe that you get the best at the table if uh, your, your counterparts uh, think you're willing to walk away. Now that's uh, something, that, of course, that we can't tolerate. And many people, I, I think, thinks that it, think that it hurts us when we say that out loud. And they might be right. But, uh, you know, because they know the commitment of people, you know, at this side of the table are to you and to agricultural trade. I want to reaffirm one thing, uh, and I'll be short, but, um, um, you know, if you turn on the TV, you don't ever expect uh, two members of the House of different parties to be sitting next to each other. It actually happens quite frequently, uh, not as frequently as it used to, but, you know, the Farm Bill is one of these models historically where folks could do that, and it wasn't red and blue, as you said. Uh, and even though it was difficult, uh, members could work things out, and it's, uh, we're, uh, I'm proud that, that Ranking Member Peterson is here. I'm more grateful that he's where he is, Ranking Member on the, on the committee. We have uh, 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 been very involved with, uh, with staff on, on, on not the Republican side, but both sides. And in Washington, they call it technical advice. Uh, they have ideas, questions, how would you implement it, what would it cost, what would the impacts be, do you have any comments? Uh, not whether you endorse it or not necessarily, but this has been going on for some time, and it will intensify more and more over time. Now, Secretary Purdue uh, has a particular view, and he's, he's, uh, he's, he's you know, in good ways, I think, stubborn about certain things and novel about other things. I, uh, uh, members of Congress, I don't know whether you saw this or not. This is just, sorry, just a, I, if I can drift into one short story. We got a, a, a letter from the chairman ranking member uh, on the Senate side uh, that was fairly lengthy and fairly detailed. And then at the end, it asked us to do something we didn't want to do, but we were willing to do, the secretary. And his response was, dear Senator so-and-so and Senator so-and-so, 10-4. Sincerely, Sonny Purdue. <laughs> we had committee staff call and wanted to, us to translate what that meant. <laughs> 
we hear you. We know what it, it's going to do. But the secretary uh, has been to, uh, you know, almost 40 states already. And while he was waiting 100 days to get confirmed, he met with 86 senators. And he's, uh, and he's uh, trying, to, uh, trying to get to more and more of the House members and socialize ways to support their efforts. Uh, because as I've heard him say a number of times, um, look, uh, I'm the Secretary of Agriculture. I'm going to be an advocate for agriculture. I'm going to provide advice. I'll provide my opinions. But legislators legislate, old-fashioned idea perhaps. But he said, uh, my cousin is Senator Purdue. That's the one you want to talk to if you're legislating. And this is simply out of respect. And it's out of respect for the quality of people we have on the committee, two of whom are sitting here, but also uh, out of uh, uh, respect for the system and the uh, uh, and the tradition. But there will be more uh, involvement that will accelerate. Uh, there'll be more that he's going to be willing to say uh, publicly, and he can uh, help uh, help make uh, Sarah uh, happier uh, with with us with some of those discussions. I, I'll I'll note though that you know some of the big big issues that he has framed are are, are ones that perhaps all of you, if not most most of you, have talked about before. You know, uh, customer service trade's been mentioned. Uh, workforce, more issue. That's more of an issue around the coast in the South. Uh, rural broadband, uh, getting the United States Forest Service back to work. You know, we spend more money putting out fires than we do managing the forest. I mean, if you tried to manage it worse, I think you'd be hard pressed. And it's for a variety of reasons. And we had, I heard someone say not long ago, you know. We love the trees too, but it's hard to hug a burning tree. Um, and we lost eight million acres this year, and it's because we're not allowed to uh, uh, to manage it. You know, we've talked a lot about regulatory relief, uh, but I think one of the real big things that uh, we need to do and, uh, is have a more extroverted um, posture on science and technology and agriculture on behalf of agriculture. Um, you know, I don't. There are, there are food science deniers out there um, who would like you all to produce uh, uh, more food with less water and less land and smaller carbon footprint and oh, also without any new modern technology. And the Department of Agriculture has scientists. We have a lot of them. You pay for their salaries. A lot of them are quite good. A lot of them have been, are eager to go. A lot of them have been eager to go and speak about these things, but they haven't been able to. Well, they need to, and they're going to, uh, in some of these international forums. And I'll, I'll just uh, end with this. We, we, uh, we had a, a very impressive uh, young scientist come in who talks about uh, antimicrobial resistance issues and what the Europeans are doing. And we went through what they were doing and what uh, our response would be. And the last thing she'd asked the secretary, uh, and she has a degree in molecular biochemistry, and she's also a veterinarian. The secretary is a veterinarian as well. And she says, Mr. Secretary, when I'm going to Codex and WHO and these outfits, is it all right if we press the science? And he said, oh, good grief, yes. And did you ask me that? Yes, and yes, I will have your back. And it, it, it I think, speaks to an, uh, a, a deficit, it's a, a matter that we need, to, uh, we need to correct. When we have scientists look at this, and it's peer-reviewed, and it's sound, and it stood the, 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 the field tests. And you know some of these technologies have been around for 20 years. They've fed 5 trillion people and on 5 billion acres. And the, you have folks still out there searching in vain for their first stomach ache, and they still say it's, it's bad. 
the United States Department of Agriculture should be willing to say, well, you can buy what you want to buy, we're all for choice, uh, but you're not allowed to credibly say that it's, uh, that it's uh, unsafe. Uh, so advocacy and uh, an extroverted ad advocacy is something he's going to increasingly ramp up, and particularly as we get uh, more people on board. But we look forward to uh, following the leadership of the committee and working on the bill. And uh, uh, Blake, thanks for letting me come home. Thank you very much, Brian. All right, we're going to finish up with Dr. Young, and I did that on purpose. This is, you know, you, know, you, get, you get a chance here. But while he's speaking, if you have a question, please come to the microphone, because you do not want to hear me talk anymore. Uh, and we'd like to hear your questions. And uh, as he's finishing his remarks, I will pick the first one to the microphone for the first question. Dr. Young, the floor is yours. Well, how do you follow up on, uh, you know, folks like that that have gone before? Uh, I guess I would say, Brian, that was a very diplomatic speech that you gave there. <laughs> uh, actually, I think there's some themes uh, that, that folks have talked about that uh, I think are, are very interesting for us to kind of, you know, look back on. You know, I, I've been asked uh, multiple times here since I retired about uh, six weeks or so ago to talk, you know, reflect on your career in agriculture. Okay, so one of the things that I think, uh, you know, has really struck me is, is the progress or maybe the change, the guy would say, in, in farm programs over the time that I've been involved and the involvement of, of governments in markets uh, in the time since I became involved in ag, ag policy. Uh, I did a little work back even uh, back to the 1981 farm program. Uh, and when you think back on how the government was involved in, in managing agriculture at that stage of the game, uh, we had set-aside programs, we had base acres, we had loan rates that effectively set, set global prices, not just our own domestic prices, but global prices. We had a government that, was, that uh, basically every year either had to suck as much grain out of the market as it possibly could or dump that grain back on the market as fast as it possibly could because of mistakes that they made in the way that the program was operating. You think about uh, at that stage of the game, we were talking about net farm income uh, that some years got down into the uh, mid $40 billion range uh, at the same time that we were talking about government payments that were totaling about $20 billion. So 50% of net farm income was basically coming from government payments. We're in a very different place today than we were then, and you know that. The conversation that uh, uh, Congressman Peterson talked about, about uh, you know, the fact that this is probably going to be an evolutionary farm program because we just don't have the money to come back and do much else with. He's absolutely right. I strongly suspect that we're going to have more than one folk, particularly as we've gone through uh, you know, legislative efforts here over the past week to talk about uh, tax reductions, which we absolutely needed in significant tax reform. Uh, but there are some folks out there that are worried about what that does on the deficit side. We can argue yays and nays of that. But you'll probably, one of the first bills, it's big spending bills, it's probably going to come to the floor, will be the farm program. So there's probably going to be a lot of attention made to say we ought to talk about cutting farm program spending, uh, certainly not about increasing it and leaving it alone. Uh, probably is going to be about the best you're going to be able to pull off out of this whole process. So I say that because the programs that we've got today are, again, substantially different, much, much, much less market invasive. Uh, have, you, know, you know and I know that you're going to make your decisions on what you're going to plant this year 
uh, not based on what target prices happen to be, what reference prices happen to be, what set-aside rates might be or whatever, what your base acreage allocations happen to be. They're, you're going to make those production decisions based on what market prices are, what your returns are, what your cost of production are. And it's really not going to be the government program that's going to drive that decision. Very different place than we used to be. The government support that you're going to receive, ARC payments, PLC payments, you know, when it gets right down to it, ARC payments can only be so big. By law, they can only be so big. And so that being the case, when you think about your net income, those government programs really are much, much less effective at affecting your farm income than they were 20, 30 years ago. And, and when they were big, and when they were a large proportion of your farm income, your farm income was really hit hard because of market problems and market distortions that were going on. So what are, where does that put us? That puts us at a place where I think we're very, very reliant and need to be very reliant on risk management tools. We've talked about crop insurances already. Uh, I, th I think that's critically important for how farm programs and how farm management works rolling forward. We need to protect crop insurance and that, you know, we need to have uh, you know, all the circle, all the wagons drawn up around that circle just as tight as we possibly can there would be significant complications associated with some of these payment limits on crop insurance that have been talked about that would significantly affect the way that the program would have to be operated. I'd also say that one of the great advantages of crop insurance is that the law behind it is permanent law. You don't have to go back and reauthorize a crop insurance program every, you know, every five years or whatever. It's permanent law. It's also structured in such a way that you can come back and affect program reform as, as often as you think you need to affect program reform in the marketplace itself. You know, we've, we've talked about the, the proposed uh, insurance program that Farm Bureau's uh, working at this stage of the game on the dairy front. That was a few analysts sitting around, uh, you know, in the office. I won't, John Newton was, is the guy who gets all the credit for putting that together out of, uh, uh, out of Farm Bureau offices, but uh, uh, you know, a few of us sitting around, you know, this, let's, let's go try this, let's go try to make this work, and they've, and they've done a great job. I think that's going to actually end up working its way through FCIC and actually getting approved and out on the market uh, uh, place. I don't know that it makes it for 2018, but I think for 2019. But so that being said, you know, kind of, kind of where are we rolling forward? Where would the, the issues and concerns be as, uh, as where we're sitting at right now? I, I think. Uh, Congressman Holsoff was, was exactly right. Uh, that, I, that if there's one thing that kind of kept me awake at night while I was still working for Farm Bureau, I'm, I'm a retired guy now, so it doesn't, you know, that doesn't have to keep me awake now, but, but it does, is this whole issue of trade. The policy implications, uh, the policy decisions that folk could make that could come back and affect our trade uh, and trade of ag products uh, could hit these markets so hard, uh, so fast. We like to go back and talk about the example of the, the grain embargo back in the, uh, you know, back in the 1980s. I don't think we have a clue, though, recognizing how much meat product we're trading at this stage of the game, beef, pork, poultry, dairy product as well. Uh, you know, the amount of product that we're shipping overseas, uh, and that's a product that, you know, we, we don't have enough cold storage. Uh, you know, to put that stuff in a, in a warehouse and then just kind of bleed it out to the system. That's stuff that, uh, 
uh, man, the effects that that could have on market prices, I, I don't think any of us have, have quite figured out if we were to, you know, let's say piss China off, uh, uh, piss Japan off, you know, just go on in Mexico, Canada, et cetera, just go on and on down the list, the impacts that that could have uh, back on our domestic markets. That's the thing that probably scares me the most right now. So farm bill, uh, I do think the congressman was exactly right that we're going to talk about an evolutionary farm bill and not a revolutionary farm bill by any stretch. Uh, our biggest challenge, I think, is going to be to try to fight to keep the money that we've got. Uh, and I think we absolutely have to do everything we can to defend crop insurance as this process rolls forward. And I'm still worried about what happens on the trade front. Thank you, folks. All right. Thank you very much to all the panel. I have not seen, I have not seen any injuries as you rush to the microphones. <laughs> So I'm going to do one thing uh, before, before I start asking you guys. Well, I'm going to ask a question. So I want to give Vicki and um, Congressman Peterson a chance, and then we'll get right to you, Charlie. If, is there anything that was said after you spoke that you'd like to respond to? <laughs> anything? Yeah, this is your chance, yeah. Well, I just would say I forgot because I was trying to be concise. And I, um, one of the main things we're doing with CRP is try to have year-round grazing. You know, uh, and I've been able to convince for Pheasants Forever, Ducks Unlimited are now supporting grazing. Uh, so if I got anything to say about it, that's going to be part of the deal. And um, we're also going to expand the Grassland Reserve Program, which been primarily used in Oklahoma and Texas, but we're going to try to change it so that it can be used better in other parts of the country. And that's got a lot less strings on it. You can graze, and you don't have requirements on some of these other things. And that, I think, would be a good compliment, too. But we're going to have grazing, if I have anything to say about it. I love it. Got support already. <laughs> this is super. Uh, I would just echo the trade uh, concerns, and certainly that is a, a, a real important uh, consideration. Something that hasn't been mentioned, though, that I think we will be looking at, we need to look at, is the 80% of the farm bill that has nothing to do with farming. And that is the nutrition side. That's a lot of money going out there. And uh, we've had numerous hearings on this subject. Uh, Chairman Conaway started a new subcommittee, which I am on, uh, on nutrition. And we've had multiple, dozens and dozens of hearings over the last three years now looking at what is working, what is not working with that program. And I think you're going to be seeing some proposals there to make that program more efficient, to make sure that the food uh, nutrition program goes to actually helping people who actually needed a temporary hand up. I think you're going to probably be seeing more expansion of uh, the opportunity to have work requirements on working able-bodied adults, not on senior citizens, not on children, not on the disabled, uh, but on people who have that capability. And um, you know, seeing if there's any way we can help reduce the fraud in the system. So I think we need to look at, as we review all aspects of the Farm Bill, certainly focus as well on the 80% side, and, and you're going to be seeing some uh, reform proposals come out on that too. All right, thank you. Charlie, we'll go to you first. Uh, hey, just, Charlie, quick question. Quick. Hey, uh, I'd just like to know, maybe you could tell me how much money the government has made off in the milk insurance program that, you know, it's cost the dairy farmers a lot and we haven't had a chance. What kind of a deal are you trying to work up to help on the dairy program, you know? Yeah, we, we didn't make hardly any money off of it because hardly anybody signed up for it. 
Uh, it, it did pay out a couple months. Um, the end of the whole thing, when it was all done, it was pretty much a wash. Uh, but, you know, I've had enough dairy farmers come to me and say, I don't care what you do to the program, I'm never signing up for it again. So I don't think, if I had my way, we'd just get rid of it, because I don't think it's going to work. But other people don't agree with that. So we're trying to make it even less expensive. But I don't know, I haven't talked to any dairy farmers in Missouri, but I've, I've talked to them in California and Minnesota and other places. And from what I can tell, that unless they're sure they're going to make money, they're not going to sign up. And that's not what insurance is for. You don't wait till your house burns down before you decide you're going to buy house, you know, house insurance. Uh, and so one of the mistakes we made with that program was letting people sign up every year. So they'd look at the next year and they'd say, well, I'm not going to get a payment, so I'm not going to do it. Oh, well, I'm fine. But I'll guarantee you, if the price went to heck like it did in 2009, they'd be coming in and complaining that we're the ones that screwed this up. So we're going to switch this more to an insurance thing, uh, is where we're going to head, I think. That's, uh, probably should have done that in the first place. Uh, I was the one that kept this out of insurance, because I thought we'd be better off to do it in uh, FSA so that we wouldn't have this argument about how much the agents were making and how much the company was making and all that stuff. But it was a mistake because FSA did a terrible job of managing that program and did a terrible job of, of um, explaining it to people. You know, and how in the world people went out there and bought $8 coverage that first year is beyond me because we set it up to work at $6.50 so people wouldn't do that. So I don't know. I mean, it's um, we didn't make any money at the end of the day, uh, and the farmers didn't make any money either. It just was a program that didn't work. Well, what, what about the, uh, you know, DFA handles thirty-seven percent of the milk, and and I do know that the DFA dumped over two million pounds of milk at my place because we don't have it. Yeah, they're what dumping milk. DFA right now has come up with a base. They're dumping milk all over the country. You know, well, they're dumping milk in uh, the Northeast. Uh, you know, but that's. <laughs> I mean, Chobani came into the Northeast, and they created this big demand, and so people added cows, they added farms, and then Chobani decided they could get it cheaper in Idaho, so they moved most of their production to Idaho. Now we got all this production in New York that we got no home for. You know, and this has been part of the problem of the dairy program forever, these regional issues that we have between different parts of the country. So, again, I, I think we've got to get dairy farmers to the point where they're paying attention to the market uh, and that they're, you know, we give them a product where they can buy insurance like crop farmers buy that is tied to the market and not to some other kind of government program, I think. But. All right, thank you, Ron. And in regard to the uh, farm bill and uh, CRP, I'd like to see it stay at 24 per, uh, million acres because I feel like that's competing with a lot of young farmers for land, and so I appreciate your comments in that regard. But if you need to find money, there are a lot of these secondary programs that are land retirement programs associated with CRP and such. Well. 
I don't, I don't know the names of all of them, but they're the smaller programs and the continuous sign up. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. and wetlands reserve, right? Yeah, all of those. Right. That you have to give up the use of your land, and a lot of it's for longer term. And those all compete with a, with young farmers for acreage. Um, and I do appreciate your comments about the environmentalists hijacking the program because that's exactly what's happened. And I, I hope you can cut well, that out. I am, if I can, if I can, I don't know if I can get this done, but I have always been against permanent easements. This is the worst idea that's ever made, you know, and the environmentalists, they don't care about anything but permanent easements. They don't want to uh, give you a 10-year contract. They want a permanent easement on everything. Right. This is a huge mistake. Who's going to take care of this land? You know, once the, you know, I, I had a guy that bought some CRP at 265 an acre, turned around and got 685 an acre from the Wetland Reserve Program to give up a permanent easement on it, and now it, it, nobody will take care of it. It's sitting out there growing weeds, you know. So if I had my way, we wouldn't have any of that stuff, you know. We, you know, and um, that's part of what we're trying to do with this. And on the continuous, you know, we're trying to make that less attractive, if you will. We've been paying 250 bucks an acre. I'm going to put that same 80% cap on continuous, and that's going to stop some of this stuff, you know. So. Well, when right. CRP first started, you had to keep the brush and the weeds down on it. Now we're paying people to plant trees on it so it'll never come back into production. And, and Vicki, on the nutrition side, why don't we have a drug test for people getting food stamps. You got to have it for a lot of jobs. All right, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Does anybody else want to talk about the uh, CRP or anything? All right. Okay, Vicki answered uh, once one of my questions on the food nutrition, what percentage, but could we publicize that 80% that uh, is going to nutrition so everybody does not think that the farmers get all of the money? You bet. I think that's something all of us can do. I know the theme of this whole conference is ag not advocate, ag advocate. I can't say, but I thought that was very, very clever. Uh, but certainly in the media, anytime I talk, I try to, you know, let people know about that. But that's something that you all can do too, whether it be the barber shop or the coffee shop or whatever. Let people know this, that 80% does not go to the, to the farmer. Because it does give kind of everybody a, a big a, a rap when they hear about the total dollar amount of the farm bill, and everybody assumes it's going to uh, uh, rural Missouri and other places, and 80% is uh, you know, going with the nutrition program. Good point. If I could just say, uh, we need to be careful here, because the reason the other farm bill took two extra years is because of the work requirements that were brought in at the last minute after they had promised not to do it. So. I'll guarantee you, you bring in work requirements, there won't be a farm bill. We're done. And people need to understand, I was in the room in 1996 with Bill Clinton when we did welfare reform and we did food stamp reform. And in those bills, we put a work requirement on, every, on, on both of those programs. So if you're an able-bodied adult, you only get, work, you only get uh, food stamps or welfare for three months out of 36, unless you work. So then people were worried that it was going to be too tough, so they put in these um, training requirements, so if you, under some circumstances, if you went and got job training, then you could get around it. 
That was one problem. But a bigger problem was they put in an ability for governors and some cities to have waivers. And that's what, so the, the people that have been getting around the work requirements are governors. It's not the federal government. That law is still the same. The federal law says that you can only get it three months out of 36. It's not the federal law. It's these waivers that are the problem. And the minute you try to touch them, I start getting all these calls, and they're not from Democrats. They're from Republican governors. So, you know, because they don't want to have to deal with this. So anyway, I just want people to be careful about this. I'm all for making, you know, getting people to work and so forth, but it would, in some of these areas where we have waivers and waivers and waivers and waivers, you're not going to fix this, in my opinion. What you should say instead of work requirements, you should give them 5,000 bucks and tell them to move. Because, and I'm serious, because in my district, I can't find enough people to work in my manufacturing factories and other places in my district. So let's make them move where the jobs are. You know, that would do more than all this training stuff. But I'll get off my softball. Sure. All right, thank you. Let's, let's go ahead and give Senator Munzlinger a chance to answer questions as well. Dr. Young, I believe it was you I heard say a couple of years ago you couldn't have a thriving ag economy without a thriving rural economy. And I'll say that uh, I was excited when the d new dean of the College of Agriculture, Chris Daubert, came to my office and he was really interested in value added. And thanks to the program that Farm Bureau and the Department of Agriculture here in Missouri did a couple of years ago, Missouri agriculture is the largest economic activity that we have in the state of $184 billion. That is huge. But what the Dean of the College of Agriculture was really saying what I have been thinking all along, and that is a value added. If we can keep these agricultural products here in our state or in our country and add value to it, that provides our rural economies that we need for the work, for the spouses and other people, part-time farmers, whatever. And I know when I met with Sonny Purdue, he said he likes to raise it and sell it. I said, Sonny, I like to add value to it and sell it. Is there anything that we can do to work with economic development activities to help add value to these products? I know we've got dairy, we've got a flood of cheese, but thank you to Thank you, Kenny, for your help in the uh, biodiesel and, and uh, ethanol industry. That's really been great where we've got it. Uh, but if we can add value to these ag products, that's food, fiber, and fuel that we can make that keeps jobs here. Whatever we can do, I'm taking you down a little different road here. I hadn't heard it mentioned, but uh, that is something that I'm excited that our College of Agriculture along with Dr. Stewart, with the, uh, with the university also, they're all keyed into what we can do here in Missouri. So any comments on that? Thank you all very much. All right, we have um, uh, a banquet just, at 530. I'm gonna give you a chan all a chance to wrap up I just here. had a one, oh, go ahead. Okay, go ahead, go ahead, Brian, we'll, then we'll come one back. one word answer that my dad would make sure that I said meet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly and we're going to have some at 5.30 this evening and we're looking forward to it I know these guys got to go tune their guitars and uh, practice up on that song about a horse and carriage 
So I'm going to give everybody a chance if you want to just take a, a, a minute and kind of sum up. Uh, I want to thank the audience for their kind uh, attention. And uh, I am uh, so uh, gratified to have this many people interested in this panel. And what a great panel we've had. So we'll start down at that end of the table. Just move this way. And uh, anything you'd like to say to wrap up? Yeah, just uh, maybe to add some context to the part of the previous conversation, you know, the, the dilemma that the members of Congress have is 218. Right. I mean, they have to figure out how to get that many votes. And you've got folks on one side who want nothing to do with these farmer producer subsidies, they would call them. You have folks on the other side who, who think that uh, the, the social welfare programs are too gener uh, generous. And then you have a particular caucus that doesn't like either. Uh, uh, so, you know, to get a farm bill, it takes some r uh, reasonably uh, vigorous calculus for, for our, our, our sitting members to perform uh, to get there. And what it ultimately means is they'll end up with a bill where if they were writing it themselves, they'd change a hundred things in it. Uh, but they have to have a con consensus document, and then perhaps it's even harder in the Senate if you need 60 votes. Um, so they've got a big job ahead of them. I, we're, we're, we are optimistic, and I think you know, there's the, the politics of the day in some ways points to a better opportunity for a farm bill. Um, you, know, you had the voting patterns in rural areas that I think uh, will push both sides uh, to want to produce uh, on your behalf and on behalf of not just those who produce, but those who uh, live extraordinarily beneficial lives because of what and how you how you produce so the biggest beneficiaries of the farm bill and what you all do are are, are consumers uh, not just here but around the world so uh, compliments to you and to our, uh, our sitting members well I talked a little bit yesterday they they're, they're working me for my you know keep here uh, for these few days uh, as I talked yesterday you know it, it's one thing to campaign it's another thing to govern. Uh, and if ever there's an example of, of governance, it's you know crafting a farm bill and, and putting that piece of legislation together. Uh, to get folks to come together, the 218 votes, as uh, uh, Brian has talked about, the 60 votes in the Senate, as he's talked about, uh, you know, that, that takes a lot of work to find that you know, very fine line that will bring all those folks together. Uh, I, ultimate compliments to the folks down at the other end of the table that uh, that do the work, uh, you know, the hours and hours of work that it takes to put one of these bills together. Uh, you know, there's votes at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning and, you know, all that kind of good stuff that goes on that just, it just has to happen. Um, so again, my compliments really to them on, on the government side. I, I do think this point of the nutrition programs and the commodity programs, you know, you're, you're going to get a lot of conversation, I'm sure, as this bill begins to roll down the uh, rails here before too much longer that says, oh, we ought to separate these two, we ought to do these as two separate pieces of legislation. And I just think that's a dumb idea, uh, you know, because when you think about uh, in getting to that two, 218, uh, the number of folks that are out there that uh, think about how many folks actually live in a farming dependent county uh, or district anymore that you know they're just not there uh, the whole reason you put this alliance together back in the late 70s was to be able to bring urban folks on board uh, I don't see any reason why you'd want to split them apart at this stage of the game so that that would be one area that I would I would really push on 
The other one that I, and this, this is gonna sound strange as a, as a wrap up comment, but for uh, actually making a farm bill work, uh, one of the things that Brian talked about is, is, is critically important. Uh, and that's that technical assistance. Uh, I know when I was up on the hill and working on farm legislation, uh, you know, we kind of always made sure we had somebody from USDA sitting in the back of the room uh, that, you know, when you came up with one, I'm, I'm, I'm unbound so I can say this. When you came up with some of these stupid legislative ideas, <laughs> that, you, that you had somebody in the back of the room that would say, whoa, wait a second, I mean, we, we can't do that. Uh, uh, because sometimes you'll end up with some of these ideas that you know may sound really great in theory, uh, but when it comes to actually putting it uh, to work on the ground, to putting it in front of you folks that are going to have to actually live under some of that legislation, you really want that that technical assistance sitting in the back of the room. That's just critically. If there's one piece of advice I give you guys for putting this bill together, uh, that'd be kind of top of my list. With that, I'll shut up. Thank you, folks. Again, you got one. First of all, thank you again. Um, I believe in the future of farming with a faith that's born not of words but of deeds. Achievements won by present and past generations of agriculturalists in the promise of better days through better ways, even as the better things we now enjoy have come to us through the struggles of former years. You know, with, I may not have gotten it exactly right. Some of you were uh, maybe checking me out. I am bullish on agriculture. Even with $3 corn, uh, even with all of the cycles that were up and down, I mean, that's, that's agriculture. And every spring we wake up with a spring in our step and optimism in our heart and you know we move forward and as on the way in as we saw the young folks out there with the blue and gold coats on and you know the look in their eyes um, I'm bullish on agriculture partly because of folks like Vicki and Colin and Senator Blunt and others that we have folks who speak for us I don't get to speak anymore except to them, like you. We have folks who speak for us and advocate for us, and they, and they understand it. Uh, I mean, even here, you know, some of the discussions here today about the specifics of the Farm Bill, just off the cuff, I am bullish because of the folks that speak for us. I'm bullish because of the folks that represent us here in Jefferson City, Director Chin and, and Garrett, uh, and Farm Bureau. Uh, we have folks that, that are hoping that and fighting for this rural way of life that will continue. Uh, and so for all of those folks and reasons, but that doesn't mean we just get to sit back and dust our hands. We've got to continue to be engaged because there are things that can keep us up at nights. Some of those things we can control on our own farms, in our own feedlots, and then some things we can't except through the power of our advocacy. Uh, and part of that, I think, is a testament to 
the fact that we still have a standing room only packed room here uh, with concern about the future hopefully you go away with little less trepidation uh, and we could all be bullish uh, on the future of farming it's beautifully said Kenny. thank you uh, as I go around the country meeting with uh, farming families uh, an observation that's become increasingly clear to me is that we're maybe losing a generation to ag futures um, I often ask uh, farming families uh, you know how do you use our commodity futures markets and I often hear younger farmers say well you know I'm I, my, my daddy or my granddaddy uh, used to dabble in the futures market used to actually hedge our production there but uh, I, I use crop insurance I don't I don't like those markets and I think that's a shame um, maybe some of the pressure off the farm bill and off crop insurance could be relieved if we could make sure that our market our futures markets continue to serve the needs of end users um, I think that they increasingly dominated by larger proprietary trading firms and 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 while that's that's fine we've got to really make sure these markets serve the very end users that need it to hedge real production risks so our, I feel our job at the Commission is really to refocus on core users of these markets. And, um, uh, and Dr. Young talked about uh, reduction of the involvement of, of, of government and markets. Uh, well, maybe we can, again, uh, help that along if we can actually make these commercial markets serve the very purpose they were originally formed to serve, which is farming folks. So that's our mission at the agency, to make these markets as robust and as user-friendly as possible uh, so that it, they're not a replacement for, for crop insurance in any way and they don't serve all the needs. But where they can be an alternative, we want to make sure they're a good alternative, a safe alternative, an alternative that's free of any type of fraud and manipulation so you can trust them and you can use these markets to hedge your risks. Well, now is the opportunity that we have to educate all the people in our uh, communities about how important the role of agriculture is and how important this farm bill is. And I'm on the Armed Services Committee as well, and I try to let people know that this is a food security issue, uh, too, for our country. Having a safe, affordable food supply is part of our national security. We don't ever want to become dependent on a foreign governments and foreign countries for our food supply and every consumer everybody that eats in this country no matter where they live has a vested interest in that and we as Americans enjoy the most affordable food supply Diane Olson and has for years and Farm Bureau helping get that message out and you all in your local counties so keep that up I think going into uh, the discussion of the Farm Bill it's helpful for to remind people whether it's letters to the editor back home in their local newspaper whatever how important it is that we keep it uh, affordable and safe and that's what uh, part of this farm safety net and that's what our farm bill is uh, but now is the time also to give your input and as um, Colin said uh, the bill will be uh, revealed starting in, in January uh, discussions are underway um, they're writing different aspects of it now as far as committee staff and so I look forward to visiting with you please share with me uh, and, and Colin your ideas uh, because I welcome your input so we can make this the best, uh, strongest farm bill possible. And I look forward to working with all of you and appreciate so much the role of, of uh, Farm Bureau in this whole process as well. And appreciate, we're very blessed to have uh, Brian Klippenstein right there by the side of Secretary Purdue uh, advocating and, and giving that counsel. And 
Uh, we're also blessed to have former Congressman Kenny Holshoff there coming, you know, representing different aspects, but there in D.C., still a very respected, powerful voice, and uh, appreciate, appreciate you, Kenny, and we're also uh, blessed to have uh, Chris there, who understands the importance and has made the effort, even though he's not from agriculture, that the CFTC, how important it is to have that, that voice there. And, and Bob, we wish you well in your retirement, but uh, stick around. We still need your advice, too. And uh, Colin, it's an honor to work with you. Thank you, Blake, for this panel today. <clears throat> well, uh, thank you again for inviting us here today. And um, I want to end this by telling you a story. Um, Maybe you get a better sense of what we're up against. <clears throat> in my side of the aisle, we have 19 members on a committee. Seven of, uh, seven of them have some ag in their district, or some of them a lot, like me. But 12 of them really don't have any ag in their district at all. Uh, and they've been good. They've followed us. They've helped us. They've, you know, fought off some of the crop insurance stuff and so forth. So. You know, they've, they've been pretty good, even though they really don't have much reason to do it. But what I want to tell you about is what happened in 2013 on the inside <laughs> and why we almost lost that, well, we did lose it. So for the first time in history, the farm bill failed on the floor of the House. And the reason is, Frank Lucas came to me and said, we, in the bill, we had a $10 billion saving in food stamps. He came to me and said, I got to have 20 billion in order to get past the, the Tea Party and the Freedom Caucus and all these guys. And I said, well, if you do it the right way, I can probably make that work. And I said, but this has got to be it. If we do 20 billion, that's it. it. Can't be any undercutting me or anything like that. Nope, it's a done deal. So we agreed to uh, changes that saved $20 billion. So we get up on the floor, and we're going through all the amendments, and we got sugar amendments, and we got crop insurance amendments, and we got all this other stuff. We get to the end of the bill, and I thought we were done. And all of a sudden, a guy by the name of Steve Sutherland gets up, who was a freshman member from Florida, and introduce this bill, this amendment. And the amendment was work requirement amendment that was Eric Cantor's deal. Eric Cantor was the whip, majority whip of the House. And he had promised us he wasn't going to do this. He had promised Lucas he wasn't going to do this. But he got Sutherland to do it. You know? So the, the thing gets put up on the floor, and they passed it. And that was the last amendment. We run right to the uh, voting on the bill. We get into the voting, and, we, and all of a sudden the bill is failing. And uh, Cantor comes over to me and he says, well, you got to do something. I said, what do you mean i got to do something? Well, you got to do something. He said, I said, you're, you're the one that needs to do something. You're the one that screwed this up. You know, don't come and talk to me. But I mean, the problem is now that I have, going into this bill, because of what happened, I can't afford another situation like this. I can't afford another somebody under, I mean, I can't go to my side and say, trust these guys, because they don't trust them, <laughs> because of what happened last time. 
you know. And so that's why this whole food stamp thing is so dangerous. <laughs> and I want to thank the Farm Bureau, because I think it's your official position to not split the bill, right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Thank you for that, because I know you have a lot of members, at least in Minnesota, that want to split it. You know, that just think that why does this thing need to be on the uh, farm bill? But as somebody said earlier, you know, we have 30, about 40 of us that have enough agriculture in our district to make any difference out of 235 or whatever it is. So 435. So, you know, we just have to be careful about this and because of the way this thing went down last time, we were able to put it back together afterwards, you know, because people understood what had happened and so forth. But if this thing gets split at the beginning, somehow or another, we'll never get it back. You know, and it's, it's, it's a bigger problem in the Senate than it is in the House at, at the end of the day. Because over in the Senate, if you don't have food stamps in, it's it done. You know, so people just need to be careful about all of that. And again, thank the Farm Bureau for, for standing up. Um, and the only thing, last thing I'll say is, the only good that came out of that whole situation is when Steve Sutherland lost his election and Eric Cantor lost his election. <laughs> so maybe they learned something. So, thank you. All right. Please thank our panel. And then I'm going to... We don't, uh, we, so, we sometimes have speakers that tell us things that we may not want to hear, but that doesn't mean that they aren't the truth. And we heard some real ground truths in the last 10 minutes, and I hope all of us heard them. That was a great discussion. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as we all did. Stay tuned for more one-on-one -on -one conversations with several of these panelists and more coming up on Around the Kitchen Table.